Hi guys! Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of The Pitch Podcast, produced by Dig Magazine and hosted by me, Bella Arnold. If you're new, thank you for being here. I'm so excited to have you. And as much as I'd love to make tax fraud jokes forever and always, today is going to be a little bit different. I will be joined by four amazing guests and we will be discussing politics. In light of the upcoming 2020 election and my undying admiration for Michelle Goldberg, host of the New York Times podcast, The Argument, I thought it would be fun to bring on some politically inclined CSULB students to talk about the state of our world and government because it's a shit show. But as always, we will put our pitch podcast twist on it. I will introduce five different topics over the course of this episode and facilitate a conversation between these students until we can all collectively pitch a solution for the given issue. I think it's really important that, as young voters, my generation is really engaged and involved with the state of our nation, and the people I have asked to chat with me today all really inspire me because of their political fervor and involvement. So, in just a few moments, they will introduce themselves, but first, I would be remiss if Sir Robert Pattinson didn't make an appearance on this episode. So, here is a little audio clip of Robert trying his hand at a southern accent that absolutely shook me to my core. And even the Lord Jesus himself was presented with delusions in the desert, but only through his faith and his strength overcame. Now that we got that lovely clip of Robert out of the way, let's go ahead and meet our guests. Hi, I'm Natalie. I go by she, her. I'm 21. I'm currently a senior. I'm a sociology major, and I'm minoring in human development and communication studies. I've been a member of the forensics team for three years, and I'm currently the sitting secretary of said team. Uh, (laughs) Natalie and I are like the same person. Like, wait, I didn't realize this because I don't know. I have only been on the team for like a year and I pretty much would just show up and like hang out with the same few people, which is not good. I shouldn't have done that. But like, (laughs) I feel like over quarantine, like we all got to know each other and Natalie and I have the same taste and everything so truly yeah like truly it's crazy literally last night we were texting and she was like sending me these awesome records that she makes of like call me by your name and stuff I'm telling her she needs to open an Etsy shop and she (laughs) does I'm plugging it on the podcast don't even try me people have told me I should do it too but maybe we'll see how like post-grad goes no but it's like a great it's you do it anyways and they're super Mm -hmm. cute and you can like make money from that so I'm saying people would pay so much for that on Etsy and stuff I saw this Harry Styles hoodie that is like $40 it does not need to be $40 but I will be buying it so (laughs) that's your I feel that so (laughs) hey I'm Hayden I'm 19 I'm a double major in economics and international studies and I'm also on the forensics team and do both speech and debate yeah Tell me why I didn't know you also do debate. Is that recent? Oh, you do BP, huh? I do BP, yeah, with Georgie. (gasps) Yes, and then that'll bring us to our next person, Georgie. Hi, I'm Georgie. I'm 19. Um, I'm a junior majoring in political science. I've been on the forensics team as well for the past two years. This is my second year. Hi, everyone. My name is Kelsey Brown. I'm 21 years old, and I'm a journalism major. Uh, This is my first semester at Long Beach, and I am currently the opinions editor for the school's newspaper, The Daily 49er. Uh, This is my first podcast I've ever done, um, and it's also my first presidential election being able to vote, so I'm excited to be here and talk about everything. 
I did not know this was your first semester. That's so impressive that you're an editor and this is your first semester. Yeah, I kind of like tripped into that position, but it's been really great. So I'm happy I got it. Oh my God. I feel like I'm so like tainted for the rest of my journalism career because you're my first editor because the Daily 49er, like I think I had a dig piece come out. That was like my journalism debut. But then the Daily 49er, I don't even remember what my first piece, I think it was the Greek life one. And like, Kelsey is such a great oh, editor. Yeah. I'm not even saying this because you're on the podcast. Like, <laughs> it's just so nice because I feel like I'm get, I'm learning, but also like, it's a really welcoming experience. So if anybody's even interested, like you don't have to, I don't think you have to be a journalism major to write for the 49er. You don't even have to be a Long Beach student. Like we post stories that are from people just in the community as well. That's awesome. I didn't even know that. So I would highly recommend, I think it's great to have a byline no matter what you do. And um, yeah, email Kelsey, get that like byline going. It's so fun. And there's like so many, you can literally write about anything. I wrote about immigration and I compared it to Clueless. So they truly are very welcoming with um, topics. Okay, so we're warming up for the game. Politics are just a lot to talk about, and I swear that it's, like, even creeping into my nightmares. Um, I think that even in my classes, you know, as a journalism major, we have to talk a lot about, like, really heavy issues that are happening so that we can learn how to cover them when we go into the industry, which is super important, but I just, I do feel overwhelmed with everything that's happening because it's a lot. So I thought, let's take a fun approach before we get into some of the issues, and I think that a lot of Republic officials have the stupidest names I've ever heard. So I've comprised a list of names and it's up to my panel to decide if it's the real name of a politician or if I made it up in the twisted little brain of mine. So (laughs) I will be asking them to mute themselves and treat the react feature on Zoom as a buzzer because we are filming this on Zoom in accordance with COVID-19 safety guidelines and the first one to buzz in will let me know. And there is once again, no prize beyond bragging rights, but whoever guesses the most correctly will win. Okay. I'll go ahead and get started with the first one. And this is Dick Sweat. And Sweat is spelled S-W-E-T-T. You think it's real? Yeah, I do. That sounds pretty real. The spelling of the last name is what is like tripping me up about whether or not it'd be real. Mm -hmm. Because how is it spelled again? S-W-E-T-T, but pronounced Sweat like (laughs) S-W-E-A-T. You know? (laughs) I think that's a real name. So unfortunately for Mr. Dick Sweat, it is a real name. Um, he is the former House representative for New Hampshire. I, like when I found this out, I, I think my humor is just broken because somebody could literally edit like like that picture of the monkey, Le Monkey, sends me into the sky. So like that's just a testament to my humor being broken. But this sent me into the stratosphere. Can you imagine Dick Sweat being like, let me pass this bill really quick. Let me like filibuster a filibuster from dick sweat i'm so sorry i'm out i would i would give up my seat in congress and be like we're good so yeah dick sweat's real you guys got that point i'll just maybe i'll just give it collectively because i think that was a i saw a lot of thumbs so that was the group effort okay i'll move on to the next one and this is newt ayers (laughs) i think that sounds like a real name as well I'm going to say no on Newt Ayers. It's like a very specific set of circumstances under which you name your kid Newt, and the last name being Ayers is not one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, like, I think it's real just because it's, like, embarrassing enough, but not embarrassing enough that a parent could be like, I could get away with this. 
I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say it's fake, like how Hayden said, like, how could you name your kid that if your last name is Ayers? Like you are setting them up for this so so badly. <laughs> I mean, people can call the other guy Richard Sweat. Like that option existed. So New Ayers, as far as I know, is not a political figure. Um, I just saw, I think about Newt Gingrich a lot because I think that's the stupidest name ever. He sounds like, um, what is that movie? The Harry Potter one, Fantastic Beast. I think Newt is a character. I'm not going to lie, I'm not a Potterhead. But um, I just thought, I looked at Newt and then I like sat there grinding my one brain cell trying to think of something funny. It's not funny, but yeah, definitely I think that it would honestly make sense if there was a politician named New Iris because you're either really funny or you have like pent up aggression that would focus into your time as a politician. So yeah, New Iris, incorrect, not a real person. Okay. So <laughs> the next one is Twinkles Andrus Kavanaugh. There's you no said, way. You said the fake one was inspired by a real name. And so now that there's Kavanaugh on this one, I don't want to believe it's real. Will you say it again? Twinkles Andres Kavanaugh. A-N-D-R-O-S or A-N-D-R-E-S? A-N-D-R-E-S. There's another S. It may be a typo. I'll verify <laughs> that when editing, but I think it's like Andres. Hi there. As promised, this is Bella editing. It has two S's. <laughs> Enjoy. Okay. I don't think that's a real name. Like, yeah, that no can't way. be. <laughs> Georgie, Kelsey, what do you think before I give the verdict? Well, the fact that you have like multiple pronunciations kind of trips me up because it seems like you're trying to pronounce it correctly. I don't know. I feel like I, I just, just not a real name. I'd be so mad if it was. So Twinkle's Andres Kavanaugh is going to be so upset when she hears this because this is a real name. She was she was the president of the Alabama Public Service Commission. Um, it's spelled Kavanaugh with a C uh yeah <laughs> I literally and she looks exactly what you would think she looks like when I close my eyes and pictured twinkle Andres Kavanaugh I'm like yeah that's correct because now I know what she looks like um yeah I know nothing about her but I'm not gonna say I would vote for her based on her name because Alabama and that just gives me pause as it is but um <laughs> yeah, twinkle Do you know like is she still alive now I would assume so because the picture looked pretty recent. Like I definitely saw like a thin brow. So I was like, that's 90s mm. probably like in that zone. And she looked pretty young. So I'm going to say yes. I want to know more about Twinkle. Should I look it up? Twinkle, Andres, oh. <gasps> this queen. Oh my God, she has Ballotpedia. Oh my God, wait, she's literally running for office right now too. Her campaign slogan is a brighter Alabama. How quickly can I register to vote in Alabama? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Guys, I'm moving. It's all thanks to Twinkle. Oh my gosh, Twinkle. Oh, she's kind of killing it in this picture though. She has like a teal collar that's like popped open. Twinkle knows who she is and we can't, we can't fault her for that. <laughs> but yeah, she's real. All right. We have, I've done three. So we have two more. Addison McConnell Jr. That seems like a pretty standard name. So I would think so. Yeah. Wait, actually, because it's so normal, that gives me pause. 
but how often are like female presenting names given junior or like feminine presenting oh, names yeah i didn't think about that i've never heard of like sally junior <laughs> you know <laughs> it can't be mitch mcconnell's daughter because his wife is named elaine the way that you had that information so ready is no she's incredible. also department uh, secretary of transportation that's a weird Elaine thing. something that i didn't know <laughs> i think yeah, yeah, I I'll say it's real. yeah i think it's real yeah i don't think it's a real name you don't think it okay so we have two things i don't it's think real. it's real okay um addison mcconnell jr is real addison is mitch mcconnell's real name and I hate Mitch McConnell, so I just wanted to bring up the fact that his name is Addison, such as the bad bleep, Addison Ray. Yeah. <laughs> similar in a similar fashion to the bad bleep Addison Ray. So Addison McConnell, real. Lindsey Graham, also real. Unfortunately for both. <laughs> they exist. Um, okay. And here is the final one. Here is for all the bragging points. Because you guys are doing well so far, but this one's really gonna throw you off, Kanye West. I don't want to be like. He's on the American but... American Independent Party ballot. Does that like count? No, no. I say no. I just put this on here because I. This is me shaming anyone who decides to vote for Kanye. He's not a real politician. He's uh, his mm-hmm. husband. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was so surprised that he was on the ballot. Like he's, I was like, wait, no, like don't even put the option, please. Like I'm so scared for all the people who are gonna vote for him. Because that's literally what happened last time that people were like writing in. Well, obviously it's not not. I don't believe in writing in with the form of government we have right now. I think it's a good idea in theory, and that people should be able to do that. But it's just not realistic in this moment and won't be for a very long time until we have democratic reform um but like the fact that people were writing in bernie last time was so upsetting and then people were writing in harambe and then now people are going to write in kanye and if anybody Mm -hmm. listening to this writes in kanye i'm gonna smite you i'm going to mentally smite you and (laughs) and don't even it's not funny this is not the time to do a bit do a hilarious bit go to zoom improv i don't care do not do this one Anyways, that <laughs> that was my precipice moment. I put that in on purpose. Yay, you guys did amazing. I'm so I hope everybody goes and researches Twinkle's Ballotpedia. It'll probably be upsetting, but <laughs> we'll have a fun time knowing her name is in fact Twinkle. Um, okay, cool. It's time to argue, pitches. Unlike the presidential debate, I trust you all to be civil and cognizant of the others speaking. Uh, This is not an argument, rather a discussion about the future of our nation by the future of our nation. I will be facilitating the conversation and keeping track of the time and moving us along. We will be discussing four different topics and I will ask each panelist to pitch their solution to the given issue. So let's go ahead and start off with our first issue. Okay, democratic reform. After the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the Senate and Addison, Mitch McConnell, have hastily jumped to confirm Judge Amy Coney Barrett as the next Supreme Court Justice. There has been a widespread pushback by Democrats and progressives all over the nation that have made their disapproval of the choice and timing known. 
This has sparked public debate over the potential of court packing if Joe, Joe Biden is elected. While Biden has neglected to address the issue, I want to hear what you guys think. Should there be seats added to the Supreme Court? Okay, I'll say no. I think that, uh, so Amy Coney Barrett, it really looks like she's going to be nominated because Democrats simply don't have the numbers in the Senate to prevent it. And if so, that'll lead to like a 6-3 conservative Democratic balance on the Supreme Court, if I'm not mistaken. Um, this is sort of antithetical to the whole idea of the Supreme Court, but I don't think that uh, these one-time corrective measures, like just adding uh, more seats to the Supreme Court is the way to go. If we're going to do it, we need to do some form of like um, like long-term reform that, that like precludes this from happening again, because you know we can have a similar situation occur with more Supreme Court seats later in the future. And also it's like, uh, you know, I mean, just like Congress and the president being able to impose corrective measures on the Supreme Court whenever it doesn't fit their political interest is kind of like, you know, it's, it's, it's not a great idea. So I would say like term limits or something instead, but that's just me. Yeah, I've done like reading about whether or not we should add seats to the Supreme Court. And some say it would help with like bipartisan issues. But as Hayden was saying, if it's not done correctly, it can just mean that more like conservatives or liberals can be added to the Supreme Court, which then might not really help in any way if the Supreme Court is just going to end up voting a certain way, like regardless of how many people are on the Supreme Court. So I guess like if we want to address systemic issues within the Supreme Court, I'm not entirely sure if adding seats would necessarily like help what we need to be like fixed. Yeah, I agree with, I don't really think that adding more justices will solve the problems that we have. Um, I do think that term limits is something that we definitely need to implement um, just because I don't really see why someone should be a Supreme Court justice for life, especially just because society's issues are changing and we need a court that reflects our ever-changing society. And I think like the highest court in the land should be reflective of the people of in which like the, their rulings are affecting. And right now the Supreme Court is like eight people and only two are people of color, only two are women. So I think getting a more balanced and diverse uh, panel of judges is really important. And I think a term limit could help with that. Um, I did want to say that I agreed with what Kelsey said. I think like historically nine justices is not like what the court has always been. Like they have fluctuated to either like check different presidential actions or to just in general, like fit the circumstances of the time. I think that expanding the court, while it does resolve some issues in terms of bipartisanship, doesn't necessarily resolve like underlying problems within the Supreme Court. Like I think that, um, one of the biggest reasons why like having the confirmation of Justice Barrett would be so problematic is because when you look at very controversial issues in American politics like abortion or like um, gay marriage, it shouldn't be possible for us to be able to predict exactly the way that a court is going to lean before the decision itself, just because it undermines the ideas of deliberation and 
democratic checks that are embedded into the American constitution, which is why I think like, yes, it would resolve um, court polarization, but not necessarily the fact that, like Kelsey said, it doesn't already accurately reflect the American people. Yeah, I think those are all totally valid points. I think that a lot of Democrats are like itching for the court packing just to like right the wrong that will be Amy Coney Barrett in their minds. Um, So I think we've kind of touched on it a little bit about, I think everybody agrees that there should be term limits. So what would that term limit look like to you? Because I think a lot of people were saying, um, I saw a lot of tweets saying RBG was selfish because she stayed till the bitter end, that she should have resigned while Obama was still in office when she was like, had started to have some, that was not correct grammar, when she started to have some health problems. So do you think that a term limit would have like helped that? What do you think about like what the term limit should be? What's that sweet spot where it's like the highest court and also adapting the constitution? I don't know how familiar you guys are with like the the reserve board, you know, the federal reserve board, but they have like a group of people who uh, craft monetary policy and that's also an organization that uh, should theoretically stay apolitical. So what they do is they have 14 year terms and they're staggered. So you have a good mix of Democrat and Republican. Uh, 14 years, we might think to be too long for the Supreme Court, but it doesn't have to be that long. I looked it up in the median Supreme Court term is like 17 years. So it would still increase turnover a little bit, but yeah, I guess it's just a question of how much turnover we do want. Yeah, because I guess the whole idea of like how long a term should be for someone on the Supreme Court is very like dependent on like also how much work does a Supreme Court get done like within their term. So I don't know, it's just like hard to think of like how long it would be because I guess throughout history there's been times where like the Supreme Court make cases that are like landslide decisions that like shape our nation in some cases our past that like are still a great deal because it's the, the supreme court but like not as big as some like historic cases but yeah it's just like i guess the term limit should be like somewhere between like 10 to 20 years maybe i don't really know yeah, I don't really have a super direct answer for that either. Um, I'm not educated enough on the Supreme Court and how long it takes for how many cases they go through, how long it takes for certain cases and everything. But I do think like 10 to 15 years would be good because a lot can change in 10 years. So then if you're getting fresh people in every 10, 15 years, I think that it would keep uh, the court kind of up to date with what actually matters in society, relevant issues and everything. Um, I think those are all really good points, but I'm also very undecided on the question of whether or not there should be term limits on the Supreme Court in general, just because like part of the reason why there is sort of a lifelong um, residency on the Supreme Court is to reduce the ability of politicians to exert political influence on like the decisions of the court things like that. What worries me about the potential to put in term limits is that increasingly the court becomes more and more politicized, which is of course like something that we've already seen happening because it's a slippery slope from, oh, we're debating about 
who gets nominated versus who gets confirmed to we now exert total control over the Supreme Court. I think that the more that this debate comes up in the future, especially with who we do or don't confirm, the more polarized the court gets and the more necessary it becomes for them to stick to very strict political ideologies. Yeah, maybe we don't have to think about term limits in terms of years. Maybe there's like a benefit to like structuring the term limits so that like a term expires per like a presidency term. So every president like knows they would get to um, appoint one justice and that kind of like creates an incentive for the parties not to pick a radical because they have some knowledge as to how like they have like a you know like a clear idea as to how many justices they'll get to appoint instead of like oh cool somebody died let's like put a radical on our side in here to hold us over until like another person dies or something I don't know I think that's a really good point actually just because it I think the way that um, politicians see the Supreme Court now, it's like because the fact that they are such lifelong influences on American politics and, you know, on court decisions in general, obviously, people tend to think that they are like the last wall against democracy or all kinds of presidential um, misaction or anything that could occur. So I think it has a tendency to make people believe that. Um, whatever justice is going to be confirmed is going to be like life and death and will decide every decision forever and ever and ever and ever. So I think that you have a point where it's like, if we do have um, more of a turnover in terms of like Supreme Court justices, it'll definitely have at least potentially a moderating effect on who we choose to nominate or who the president chooses to nominate, sorry. Okay, awesome. So now let's get into the next question. President Trump and his presidency and stance against the landmark court case Roe v. Wade has caused a lot of tension between voters. Regardless of your stance on abortion, do you think that Roe v. Wade should be overturned? I feel like Roe v. Wade has some pretty weird constitutional footing, like using the Fourth Amendment to justify it is like, it's an interesting choice. And like, I feel like, yeah, I don't know, it's just weird, but like, it's kind of something we need there as like that cultural safeguard because we can't just like uh, leave it, you know, it's a big cultural thing with abortion. Like in Europe, like there's pretty much consensus that like, this is a thing that's okay, but we kind of have to have this like constitutional safeguard in order to like have women's choice exist in certain places. Uh, yeah, I know. Okay, I was thinking um, Roe v. Wade is such an interesting case to me just because it has such this controversial place in American society. I think that on one hand, it sort of represents like either this really interesting upholding of particular rights, especially for women, and it's like seen as a step in the right direction for women. And at the same time, constitutionally, like I recognize from a very strict, like, originalist perspective that there are very, very few aspects of the Constitution that would actually support Roe v. Wade. The quote-unquote like right to privacy is definitely implied, but at the same time, there's a big debate on whether or not it is the court's job to make explicit interpretations that 
to the Constitution that are not necessarily there. On the other hand, uh, questions about abortion and questions about women were not originally in the Constitution because we the people, as we all know from RBG, who is awesome, kind of, um, <laughs> women and people of color and people in the LGBTQ community, everyone who isn't a straight white cisgendered man, were not included in the original interpretation of we the people. So the constitution was never meant to address um, the rights of women to do whatever they needed to do in order to survive, to live good lives. It literally says the rights of men, et cetera, et cetera. So I think in the context of a very diverse set of people who are living in the United States, Roe v. Wade presents a very necessary contextual adaptation to the way that we view the constitution. So I think it is necessary, but at the same time, there's also a debate to be had about whether or not it should be something left up to Congress or left up to the states as well. That's interesting. Do you think that there's like a better way to accomplish what Roe v. Wade does that maybe like, do you think like a con like amendment to the constitution would be better than like having Roe v. Wade exist or something? I mean, personally, yes. I would be very sad personally if Roe v. Wade were to be overturned. I think it's like, it sets a good precedent for women especially because it is in our benefit. But like I said before, there's not really like a governmental justification for it. But the only way I can see it um, truly like having the same effect in government is if there were a constitutional amendment passed to protect the right to have an abortion or to have all states just consensually or on their own, like believe in a woman's right to choose or actually anyone who can like have a pregnancy, right? So I don't know, it's an interesting debate because on one hand, it's very likely we just won't have um, a majority of states or a majority of Congress who's going to support anything like that. Um, I agree with what you said, Georgie, about how like it's necessary. I do agree as well that like I think it would be better if it could be like a constitutional amendment or just something that all states have said like we support this. Um, I think my issue with overturning Roe v. Wade is I haven't heard a like legitimate political argument for against abortion that isn't rooted in religious belief or like God made that baby for a reason. And all of those are valid reasons for someone to not get an abortion, but it's not a valid political argument. Um, like any argument that is rooted in religion is invalid for politics because we're supposed to have a separation of church and state. So for me, that's the most just like simple, like reason why I don't think it should be overturned. I also think it's kind of ironic that like America is all about like freedom, but like all of history, the government and politics have tried to restrict women's bodies. Like men have never had their rep reproductive systems in a, as a debate or had their health restricted by the government. Um, and women have had to fight to be seen as people and not property to vote, to have birth control. and it's 2020 and we're still having conversations about a woman's autonomy of their body. So for me, I think it's important to keep it uh, just because 
it just we've come so far and we need this honestly still because there's been so much behind that one ruling yeah like similar to what kelsey said every argument i've heard against roe v wade is rooted in personal like religious beliefs and i haven't really heard many arguments that is like rooted in politics as to why it should be overturned but coming from a person like I'm not very like educated in politics when it comes to issues like these I take it from like a sociological standpoint because like that's my major so I think that Roe v Wade like should stay in place because abortion already is inaccessible for like many women and like women of color and where you live based on where you can get access to an abortion is very stagnant for women throughout the country, like already as is like in a status quo. So even overturning this would just mean that you would have to go back to women resulting to unsafe and then unhealthy ways to like terminate their pregnancy if they don't want to like continue it. So overturning it, I feel like would do more harm than good if there isn't like a change to it. Because if there's fundamentally something wrong with Roe v. Wade that's rooted in politics, then we should address that rather than going at it from like a religious point of view. Because again, like we're supposed to have the separation of church and state, but if every argument is based in like personal beliefs, then that shouldn't be the reason to just overturn it. Like if something is like inherently wrong with it, within how it's addressed or like how it's applied through the constitution, we should acknowledge it from like that point of view. I, I totally agree with that. And I like really like that you talked about how like making abortion illegal doesn't get rid of abortions. It just makes them more unsafe. And that's just gonna lead to more deaths than abortion. Um, so, and then also if you force people to have like children that maybe they're not ready for, they don't want, they're not receptive to this, these children, or they're going to end up in foster care. So there's just, I think it really does do more harm than good when you really look at like the logistics of it. And it seems to be less about protecting children and more about controlling women's bodies from my perspective. I think that you both brought up like really, really good points in terms of like the whole debate about abortion and like its relation to Roe v. Wade. And I think too that like that also brings up a really good point just because that most people, not even just like most women or most people who are capable of having pregnancies, right? Believe that Roe v. Wade should not be like completely overturned. Partial overturning is debatable, but full overturning is very like at least majority and popular in the United States. So that makes me think that because of how um, the people right now seem to reflect that it is like a necessary thing to have access to, like they said, because it, you know, getting rid of it would only reinforce like worse ways of facilitating an abortion and like worse ways of like quality of life for many people who can have pregnancies, then you know, it is something that reflects the people's views. And I think that the court has historically also done certain Supreme Court decisions with like being cognizant of the fact that their decisions will reflect on people for decades, right? So the impact of Roe v. Wade is still very important. And if, you know, 
there are a lot of Republicans who don't like it. They can always just pass a constitutional amendment that says abortion should be illegal, considering that they don't have the political power to do that and they don't have the, um, the will to do so. I think that that just reflects the idea that it's something that is contextually necessary to us right now, if that makes sense. Um, none of us were of age to vote during the 2016 election, which is extremely unfortunate. Um, but we all remember, regardless of your stance on President Trump, um, how the nation was rattled by the fact that for the fifth time ever in the history of our nation, <laughs> the president-elect won the Electoral College but did not win the popular vote. Critics of the Electoral College have advocated for changes to be made to our voting system. Do you think that changes should be made to the Electoral College? I think it's just like so difficult to narrow down on like the issues of the electoral college because I took like the debate class with like our debate coach Devin and this was a topic that I had to debate from both the affirmative and the negative and a lot of like there's a lot of issues with the electoral college because it doesn't like people don't feel incentivized to vote because if you are a Republican and live in California, we already know that California is going to vote blue. So then people are like, why should I vote? And that goes the same if someone lives like in Alabama and is a Democrat, they're gonna be like, well, I know the state's going to vote red anyways, so why vote? I agree. I don't know very much about the electoral college either, but yeah, it seems like I just, I have trouble understanding the justification for it. Um, it's, yeah, the, like I, I struggle to understand why people believe it's better, a better alternative to the popular vote, I suppose. Um, I don't know. Somebody I knows the like argument. <laughs> it might've made more sense back in the beginning of our country to mm -hmm. where like the population between the states were so different. But again, it's like, why should we continue continue to follow this framework when at the same time like the electoral college was made to benefit states who like enslaved people and like get votes based off of that so it's like was different back then because also people weren't educated now and it's like we could still kind of talk about the education of the american people now but overall yeah. we're more educated and like we overall have more accessibility i would hope to like these political issues i just don't see like the argument where people say if we have the popular vote that a vote in california would mean more than a vote in, a, in another state because if we just go by the popular vote how is not every vote just the same right yeah right like yeah this makes sense <laughs> Okay, I was gonna say like I agree with you like at the beginning like maybe it made some sense because like people were not literate like back then so that was like their justification but it does seem strange like in 2020 we're still so reliant on a system like established in the 18th century by slave owners and like you think like back at that time women couldn't vote black people were counted as three-fifths of a person and we've made radical changes to those aspects of voting in our political system. So it seems kind of strange that we're still holding on to like this archaic part that assures that like the elite people still have some reign on the voting process. 
because like really the they created the electoral college because they didn't have faith that the american the the american public were educated and competent enough to vote and have some role in politics so i think that if we really advocate for democracy and we are overseas fighting wars for democracy and all this stuff and then we don't really have a true democracy here without popular vote so it seems kind of hypocritical to me Definitely. I think I agree with all of that. Um, I think one of the biggest issues too for the Electoral College is a question of like, like one of the biggest issues in general for democracies is the majority minority dispute and the extent to which the majority should have like an influence over the minority. But I think in America, it works oddly vice versa. It looks like the minority seems to have more control over politics than the majority does. Like we can tell that we're getting increasingly more diverse. There's more people of color. There's um, even more people who are coming out as like different kinds of like identity categories that have historically been marginalized. And yet these same people who exist in political positions of power are still straight, white, cisgendered men. So that is kind of representative of what the electoral college to me is because while it was meant originally to make sure that the mob didn't control politics or that, you know, we didn't just make decisions based off of emotion or whatever it was that the people were generally vibing with that day, I think now it works towards a system that has systemically oppressed votes in different parts of the country, specifically like people of color. Um, the electoral college, to me, doesn't need to be like, I think it's so well in place in America that people just take it to be something that is immovable, like the constitution. It's sort of revered as this thing that we could never ever replace. And the debates about how to replace it would be obviously very explosive and pretty intense. But at the same time, we have to recognize that it no longer fits the context in which we live, because this isn't like, the 1700s anymore, it's not the 1800s, where there's just like a few states where they're all mostly mono-ethnic, ethnic, mono-ethnic, and where um, most of the people like lived in like relatively the same situations. Like we didn't have the rise of like urban centers during the time of the constitution. And the constitution wasn't meant to reflect the fact that there are massive cities with um, large swaths of like people of color who can vote, things like that. Yeah, and also even now, like with presidential elections, we see candidates spend most of their time like in swing states. So they won't visit a state if they know like they won't bring them money. They'll just like ignore a state because it's like, I know you're going to vote a certain way. So I don't feel like I need to go like speak to the people, which again makes people feel like incentivized or not incentivized to vote. So I think if we were to make a change to the Electoral College, I don't think it would ever be abolished. I just don't think that like realistically would ever happen. But just like changes like should be made to it. I just think it'd be hard how people would agree on like what those changes would be and how that would be implemented. I have a question. Uh Sorry, I don't know, maybe y'all can help me understand this a little bit more, but it's just like, 
I've never understood like ever since I didn't even like know about the electoral or electoral college until I was older because I always just thought it was popular vote because that's what you would think when you hear about democracy. And then when I learned about the electoral college, why is it so hard to get rid of it? Do you guys think because if we do popular vote every like we do this, we already have the votes, we count them, we have. Why is it so hard? Do you guys think to get rid of it or to change it? It's in the Constitution, right? Uh, I mean, just passing a constitutional amendment is very difficult. But uh, I like what George said about the majority-minority dispute. And I think that there are other ways that democracy can solve that. Like, we don't need the Electoral College to sort that kind of thing out. Because, like, you know, I mean, whatever happens, the majority is still going to be a very varied group. And uh, we can look at policymakers that are in office and if they're not doing well, you know, members of that group might decide to split off and vote for somebody else. Uh, I mean, and minorities are still like historically in many societies, very effective at voicing their opinions and bettering their conditions. Like, it's just a trend in like societies that people will apply like human intelligence and competence to better their position. Sometimes this is really hard. Like North Korea has been North Korea for quite a while. It doesn't seem like there's any clear way out at the moment, but ultimately, I think that you know, in the United States in a, in a dynamic democratic environment, we can overcome that kind of issues just through democracy, and we don't need the electoral college. Um, one of the reasons I think too to like add to what Hayden said because I think he makes a really good point is that like it's politically beneficial for Congress to keep the the electoral college. Like Congress never does anything unless it's to its self-interest. And to me that like sort of manifests in, in the unwillingness to sort of even touch like the electoral college, which is one of the most, you know, established institutions in the United States just because of how long it's been around. Um, right now, I don't even think that people in Congress are willing to in general touch issues that are controversial. Like I think that because of the nature of political institutions, they're vastly more worried about whether or not they're gonna get like elected next year, whether or not they're gonna get um, another term. And it just kind of manifests in like them not wanting to do anything substantial. Because I think that we see all the time that Congress is like debating certain issues and they're like, oh, everything's so controversial and we hate it and whatever. But very few of them would very much so like to be caught on record voting one particular way for things that are inherently controversial or inherently unlikely to get them elected next season. As we start to bring today's episode to an end, I want each listener to just take a second and reflect on how amazing this was. We had four young people come on and break down political policies with their sophisticated understanding of the different issues our government faces day to day. Now, I will ask each of my guests to deliver a final message to their listeners. Experienced voters, new voters, future voters, and those who are unable to vote who we are fighting for. What do you want them to take away from this discussion? I think for far too long before like the 2016 election, we've seen groups of people who have been able to avoid these conversations 
because it simply like did not directly affect them. But we have to acknowledge that our lives are like inherently political, especially if you identify under like an identity or like a group of people where like their livelihood is like the topic of a debate for a presidential election. So if you're a person of color or a gender minority, or you're a member of like the LGBTQ community or you're like disabled, your body is always going to be politicized because like that's just what the world is. So it's great that people our age are now having these conversations and especially since the events that have taken place this past year, we've seen conversations take place more and like these conversations about politics and like social issues can be uncomfortable. Like for us, it wasn't because we all like were civil about it, but these conversations with other people like need to take place, whether it's in within your family or your friends or like peers or coworkers, like we need to talk about these political issues because even if you think a voting issue doesn't directly affect you, it still does in some way because it still affects the society and the country that you live in and it affects people that you know. And even like you should vote on something, even if it doesn't affect anyone you know, because it's still an issue in place within our society that should be resolved. So yeah, just talking about these issues helps you get a different perspective from different people because even throughout this conversation, we all kind of agreed on the same way. We still had different perspectives as to like why we felt a certain way. So even though for so long we've seen people able to like ignore these issues, we need to make sure that doesn't happen anymore and that these conversations start taking place like when you're younger. I'd say that every issue on which we vote or which we discuss, there's not just a political element to it, but like a cultural, historical, philosophical, anthropological one. And it's imperative that we take a holistic look at uh, every issue when we contribute to the discourse or when we vote, because, uh, you know, things have probably more deeper and more varied meaning than they would appear to have at first glance, like Natalie said. I think especially when you're young, like when I turned 18, like I had such a limited understanding of politics. Um, and I think one of the like great things about adulthood has been like growing my understanding of government and politics. And through that, like I've understood how big of a role politics plays in not only my life, but everybody's life. Um, I think it's easy for people to feel unaffected by like court rulings that are happening across the country or like healthcare debates. If you're still on your parents' health care plan. Um, but like everything discussed in politics, even if it doesn't, you don't directly affects, it affects you, it affects the world you live in. It might affect your mom, it might affect your friend or your neighbor. Um, like uh, Natalie said, everybody is politicized. Like you don't have a choice in that. So you should care about politics. You should educate. Um, and all you can do is educate yourself, vote, and do your role and hope that it makes some improvement in everything. Um, well, I definitely agree with everything that everyone has said so far. 
I think the last thing that I would really encourage people to do is to make sure to keep to keep on educating yourself, right? Because what you know about politics never stops in terms of like what you know about certain policies, make sure that you don't just look at the presidential, look at the local aspect of like where you're voting. So not just, oh, you know, like the president could have these implications, but most of what occurs in your daily life also happens mostly on a local level. So local elections are in a lot of ways much, much more important than who the president is. So I would just like to encourage people to make sure to look up, you know, the California propositions. They're really important this year. There's a lot of really like big important ones that are being debated about right now. And the second thing that I would like to say is that make sure, in my opinion, no matter how hard it is right now to deal with them, to talk to your family about these things, because it is very easy for us to stop talking to them when we just feel annoyed. They're like, oh, they're racist, they're horrible people or whatever. You might think about your family and their political views, but sometimes you just have to keep having these discussions with them and facilitating them in order to at least have the possibility of making someone more aware of why our generation might feel the way it does or why you might hold the views that you do. And, you know, on top of that, I would encourage you to just make sure that your family, no matter what, like, political belief that they have, votes. Like, it is difficult for a lot of communities. Like, I know that they don't offer translations, ballot translations for Benisayat, for people who come from, like, my specific island in the Philippines, right? So me and my family had to spend, like, two hours translating that for my grandma. But it is going to be hard to do those things. And you might get like two hour waiting lines trying to put in your ballot. But these issues and the issues that we have right now in front of us are going to affect you for the next four years. And honestly, potentially for decades in terms of the implications of what this next president or what this next uh, proposition could do to California and to different states. So no matter how hard it is, just make sure you keep on voting keep on putting the effort to do all the things, even though, you know, it's hard for most people because we're all busy. <laughs> Thank you so, so much to my guests for joining me today and being willing to talk about these topics with me. I implore every listener to do your research, create a voting plan. Um, it's a privilege to vote, honestly. Kelsey can attest to me saying this in every single one of my op-eds, but I simply think that it bears repeating, now is not the time to stand on a precipice of morality of third uh, third party nominees or not voting at all. Being able to vote and exercise your First Amendment right and speak about these issues, act as vocal opponents, and imagine implementing these changes that we've talked about is a right. And we need to protect that, so vote for yourself, vote for those who can't, and hope that reform will occur and one day they will be able to vote. Vote for the young people in your life who are being forced to watch from the sidelines, but no matter what, vote. Election day is November 3rd. And even if you miss the voter registration deadline, in California, you can register to vote at the polls on election day. The Carpenter Performing Arts Center will be a voting station from now until the election day, so that's a fantastic resource for any Long Beach voters. You can visit csulb.edu vote for more information on how to make your voice heard this election. 
As always, if you want to be a guest on the Pitch Podcast, you can DM dig.mag on Instagram, or you can even DM me at Bella Arnold on Instagram. And if you have any ideas, I want to hear those too. This is a democracy, baby. (laughs) Um, I want everybody to make sure, get out there and vote and stay safe and have a beautiful rest of your day. This podcast was filmed in the midst of midterms. And I have one brain cell left in all of these recordings, so enjoy this compilation of me not being able to speak. <laughs> Good night. The other way around. I literally can't speak. This is embarrassing. And I mess up a lot when I do it because I can't speak. Oh my god. <laughs> I can't speak. Oh, I can't speak. And uh, I, I can't speak. Oh my god, I can't speak. <laughs>